in three, two, one. Ghostwriting is an essential service that has been around for many years. It allows individuals or organizations to produce high-quality content, such as books, articles, speeches, and blogs, without the need for the author to write it themselves. Ghostwriting also helps to ensure that the content is well-written, engaging, and free from errors. It's a valuable service that plays a vital role in business today. If you want to learn all about ghostwriting and create compelling content and how you can employ it in your business, then you're going to enjoy my conversation with ghostwriting specialist, Danielle Harward. Well, hi, Danielle. Welcome to the program. We're glad to have you. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Now, where are we talking to you from today? I'm over in West Jordan, where thankfully it's kind of sunny today. West Jordan, Utah, beautiful place. We've got family that live out in that direction. So very, very beautiful. Hey, I'm really excited about today's session that we're going to be talking about in our subject matter. We're going to be talking about ghostwriting and the power of ghostwriting, why ghostwriting, how to apply ghostwriting, when's the right time to use ghostwriting, because a lot of people have misunderstandings about it and don't understand, A, how affordable it is, and then how important it is to their business. But before we go there, let's just get a little background for our listeners. What led you to that subject? So give us a little bit of background. How did Danielle get into the ghostwriting business? You bet. Yeah. I've written all of my life. I was one of those kids that instead of paying attention in class, I was writing stories in a notebook. That led me to get several short stories published. I've got a manuscript that's currently being worked on. And I was always doing writing on the side. I did 10 years of sales. I held million dollar quotas. I managed sales teams, all hoping that someday I could go into writing full time. And then I found ghostwriting and I realized I could marry my business savvy with writing. And that's what makes me a different ghostwriter from others is that I'm very audience focused because of my sales experience. So when did you decide, hey, I'm going to get into this business and start providing this service? Back in 2020, I was doing full-time sales job, managing a team of 10, and I decided that I was going to try and start launching it on the side with the goal to go full-time in 2021. So I did that for about six months, just trying to dig in the trenches of working all day and then working all night. And then something happened and I got laid off. And so I figured what a better time to jump into it. I'd already had six months under my belt. Why not try to go full-time? And I've been going full-time ever since. Now, when it comes to ghostwriting, let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. You bet. The goal of ghostwriting for me is to capture your thoughts and your voice. A lot of the time people will come to me and they're worried about authenticity. They say, I don't want someone else to write my book because then it's not my words. If that's the case, you haven't hired a ghostwriter. Me as a ghostwriter is to take your words, your thoughts, your lessons, your opinions, and your stories, and to put them into an engaging format. So I shouldn't bring any of my experiences and my thoughts into your work. Well, some people believe it's cheating, so to speak, actually cheating. And I write articles for some of the different publications and magazines. I used to do about 50 articles a year. Most mm -hmm. of them I wrote myself, but there's also when time got in a crunch, I'd have a ghostwriter and they can write in your voice using your terms, your words. And so as a ghostwriter, how do you go about learning the author's voice and their perspective and point of view? Good question. Audio material is so helpful, but if they have written as well, that allows us to pick up stuff. The goal when I try to reflect someone's voice is a lot of times when we talk, we use certain phrases and words more so than others. So when I'm talking to people in meetings, in their chapter interviews, as we're strategizing on the book, and I hear them repeat a word a certain amount of times, I write it down. So I actually have a whole document of common words and phrases that these people use. And I tone in very quickly to whether they use patient or client, whether they use sport 
psychology over sports psychology, things like that. Sure. So you're paying attention to the nuances that they use and then try and employ those words in their writing. So that they'll recognize that too, as part of their voice. Now you like working with rebellious leaders. I thought this was interesting. What is it about the rebellious spirit that you're drawn to? Have you ever read a poem called the crazy ones? The crazy ones. I think you have that on your website. I do. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Beautiful poem. I've always been inspired by it because it says that the people that think outside the box that believe they can do something different are the ones will change the world. So a lot of times rebellious thinkers have these big ideas that are so interesting and could really transform an industry, but they can't necessarily get it out to their audience in an engaging way that they can relate to and speaks to them on an emotional level. So they focus on it more. That's why I like doing audience widening content for rebellious leaders, because I help them take those unique ideas that may be controversial to the norm and help them connect those ideas to the emotions of their audience. Is that the key to it is to make something controversial or at least go out of the norm or at least make an attempt at it versus something that's kind of safe and mainstream? I think so. Because if you think about it, when you're scrolling through LinkedIn, you scroll right past the posts that are generic because it's information that we know might be a good reminder. But it's information that we know. And the posts that have information which are controversial or go against something that is different from what everybody else is saying in the space, I pause and say, wait, why? And usually they list the benefits and the results of using that thought process. Sure. So they'll put up something, maybe have a different perspective and a different thought to it. And that's what's going to cause you to think. If it's something, five ways to improve your exercise at the gym, they might not be interested in that. But if you go five mistakes people make when they go to the gym, they're, they're going to be maybe more apt to read that. So mm-hmm. it starts with the headline. Is the headline one of the most important parts as far as the grabbing your interest point of view? Absolutely. The headline asking a dangerous question. And by dangerous question, I mean, what are you asking that people are already asking themselves, but might not have admitted it? That's interesting. Now, some people are very super knowledgeable in their field and they can write very informative content, but that doesn't guarantee engagement from the interested audience. What's the missing piece typically? Typically, it's on an emotional level. If you're not speaking to the moment that someone is feeling within their body or the emotion that they might be facing that they may not necessarily even know how to name for themselves, but you do because you have the experience, that's where engagement comes in. That's where people comment on your post going, oh my gosh, what an eye-opening. You're right. Now, we have ghostwriting for presidents use ghostwriters. We have CEOs and executives use ghostwriters. What do you see in the business world? Who's using the ghostwriter the most? Good question. I've often found that ghostwriters, specifically myself, I work really well and find the most commonly clients that are 10 or 20 years into their field that have so much knowledge and so much content, but they don't know how to parse it down into an engaging book. So these people have relevance in their field, and that's really the most common people that need a ghostwriter. They could have eventually gone on from doing something for 10 years to becoming a speaker or becoming a consultant. Those are really key people that like to have books and is a very good resume for them to hand to someone they want to work with. Oh, yeah. No, it's powerful. I've written two of them, and they're very powerful as far as authority and credibility goes. When you show up in a meeting and you present a couple of copies of your books, you'll win over somebody who doesn't. Yep. Who's ghostwriting ideal for? So you talked about speakers. So what makes someone a good candidate for becoming an author, if you will, and then using ghostwriting services? Having an audience. I know a lot of the time people expect me to say, well, if you can't write, you should hire a ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case because you may just be busy and not have the time to put together a book. 
you know, it takes time and skill. And a lot of those busy people don't have that. But having an audience that engages with you, that is thirsty for your ideas, that's been following you for a while, that's what makes your book extremely successful if you write it to them. If you are at the point where you're trying to say, I want to go into a business and I want to build it up and I want to create a book to launch that business, you're going to have a lot harder time in gaining traction. So you'd get traction better if you've got experience in that particular field and you've got an audience that you can go present that to or is familiar with you. Especially if you've gained traction in this field and you're about to take the step into going into speaking or going into consulting. What a fantastic time to get a book written. Yeah, I think so too. And with self-publishing options now, there's just so many options to get your word out there. It's like in the music industry, you're not stuck using a record label anymore. Mm -hmm. You can go directly to the main platforms yourself. Tell me about the process of ghostwriting. Can you give us an example maybe of without naming a specific client, but maybe a type of business where you met with the client? What was the first step in your process, the next step in your process to delivery of content to positive outcomes and even negative outcomes? What kind of things where maybe you have to make adjustments? What's the process for that? Yeah. Generally, when you come to Alliance Ghostwriting, you're going to come through a process that starts with a book strategy meeting. And this book strategy meeting is a very high level overview of what your audience is and the problems that they face and how you can solve them. And additionally, why you're the most important person or you're the person that can solve those problems. From there, after we answer about 20 questions through an hour worth of time and just discuss these topics, you're going to walk away from that meeting with what I call content pillars. And those content pillars become your chapter outline. That's a really good way to get your book started because now we're highly focused on what your audience needs and how you're going to resolve that need. From there, then we go into an outlining phase where we talk about high level, what you need in each chapter. Then we schedule our chapter interviews and I interview the client for an hour for every single chapter. Mm. And that's an opportunity where they talk about all of their stories, all of their thoughts, their opinions, statistics they want to use, and the lesson they want the reader to walk away from with that book. From there, they get a full revision where they can go through and say, you know what, this doesn't sound like me, but this does and I need more of it. And we can come and add those changes. I myself as the ghostwriter usually end up going through a draft about five different times to make sure it really shines. The client, I try to make sure they only have to go through it once. That's an interesting process. Just a sidebar on that. So let's say, for instance, I'm a first, second draft guy. I can crank out a first draft. I'll do a second draft, but I'm starting to hate it already, right? And I definitely don't want to see it on the third draft. Does it make sense sometimes, say maybe after the first or second draft, I get the main points and the main ideas out, particularly if it's technical. In other words, there's information you would never be able to come up with in a million years without us giving you that framework. So we create that draft, which maybe not grammatically perfect, but the key points are there, the bullets are there. Is that helpful? And then have you take that and polish it up from there? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the time when people come through those drafts, They will make small changes to like, I wouldn't say this, but I would say this instead, or they're adding statistics and research into those. Yeah, some facts and figures or something based on support their claim, whatever they're writing about. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. 
You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Danielle Harward. Now, ghostwriters have different genres and styles. Like you have a, a certain thing that you're attracted to that maybe you excel at. When we're searching for a ghostwriter, somebody who's competent in the field, is it more important to find the who, the person, the ghostwriter, and then worry about the different types of content or to find someone who specializes maybe specifically in that type of content? Or can a good ghostwriter adapt? And I mean, writing, good writing is good writing. Can a good ghostwriter have a broad range of topics that they can develop expertise in? Because at the end of the day, like you said, they're researching, they're going to be using the words of the speaker or the, their subject matter is going to be coming a lot of that content from that individual. You're just smoothing it out and making it so it can look like a book. Yeah. A little bit of both. I would say try to have the goal of finding someone who is in your niche. So for example, don't hire a ghostwriter that has only written fiction and fantasy romances for your nonfiction book. But even as you are looking for that, if you find someone on the edge of your niche and you really click with them, that's the most significant thing you can do with a ghostwriter. I know we're often pushed by price, but if you sit down with a ghostwriter and you feel like they understand you on a base level and you connect soul to soul, you're going to have a better book outcome out of that, even if they're not as experienced in your niche. That makes sense. A good thing to be controversial and provocative with all your writing, or there's some topics that are offline that should off limits, we shouldn't even cover them or talk about them. I think it depends on how you approach the topic itself. Good answer. Because if you are gruff in a controversial topic and you don't have empathy for why someone might feel like it's controversial or not agree with you, then nobody is going to want to read it or connect with it. But if you focus on, I understand this is controversial, here's what I think and here's why, and give explanation. And I don't want to say fight the norms, but fight their understanding of what's making them pull away. Then you'll get more understanding in your controversial words. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then that way you're having that kind of conversation, you're looking at it, but you're sitting your opinion, you're not telling them how it ought to be, right. you're actually giving them key information and going from there. And the goal too, is never to put somebody down. A lot of the time when I'm riding with people, I wouldn't say it all the time, but every once in a while, I run into someone that says, I want to say so-and-so is wrong in my book. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to disprove theories, not people. As soon as you start disproving people, you make- It's personal. Yeah, it gets personal and you lose authority in your book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, how do you ensure that you're writing from the voice of the speaker or the subject matter expert? How do you capture that voice? You mentioned that you capture key words and key phrases or anything else that you do? There is. We try to focus on tone too. So as I'm interviewing someone for a book, a lot of the time we'll talk about, do you want this to be informative? Do you want it to be storytelling? And as they talk, I listen to, are they shortened to the point or do they take a minute to get to the point? I'll bring that into the book. I can still make it in an engaging way. There's a lot of, in the writing world, a lot of people refer to it as fluff. Is there fluff right. in this book? Is there not fluff in this book? And there's a lot of really famous books with a lot of fluff in them. And there's some without. So you can go either way as long as it's done well. And that's a really good way to capture people's voice too. 
Yeah, it's interesting. In my book, I could actually probably write them in 12 to 15 pages, but nobody mm -hmm. buys them. They want 168 pages of fluff. And no, there's more things in there, but we fill it with stories and filler because they're not going to pay $24.95 for 15 pages. Those stories too are what helps us as humans understand new concepts. So they can really help you introduce as if an analogy to explain why things are better. It's like all the time when people say, why should I hire a ghostwriter instead of doing it myself? I always say, would you hire a construction worker to build your house or would you do it yourself? You may have the know-how of what you want, but that doesn't mean you know how to do it in a really good way. And efficiently, that does make a difference. What kind of questions? So let's say we decide, hey, you know what? I, I need a ghostwriter. I'm going to do this. Maybe I've started this project a million times. I'm not finishing it. I need to get somebody to help me finish it and be accountable to. What kind of questions or what kind of things should we be looking for, qualities or attributes in a ghostwriter? What should we be asking them? Good question. As soon as you start talking about it to a ghostwriter, it's okay to ask for examples of their work. Most ghostwriters have examples that they have taken from books and changed that give you the base concept, but it isn't part of their client work. You should also be asking their experience. I would say more importantly, you should be asking, why do you think we would be a good fit? Especially if you're getting ghostwriters cold in your inbox. A lot of the time there will be like 10 or 12 messages just shot out to people. Ask them what makes us a good fit. A lot of the times, if you are meeting with a good ghostwriter, they'll know who you are and know at least base level information about you and be able to tell you how they relate to it. Sure. What about somebody I know will outsource the content or they're managing the process, but then they'll actually outsource it. There's so many steps in the process when you're producing, let's call it a book. We'll just say it's a book if somebody wants to write a book. Mm -hmm. So you got proofreading, you've got editing, you've got your cover artists, your illustrators, your indexers, your researchers, depending on the subject, you got your marketing, you got your promotion, you got your publishing, you got marketing and promotion. There's just so much that's out there. Are you looking for everything under one roof or find that person who's the ghostwriter, but maybe he's also good quarterback and can hand off and manage that project at the same time. There are so many different ghostwriters that offer different things. I personally don't like necessarily having a ghostwriter that would publish under their roof. I like their traditional publishing route. So there's a lot of ghostwriters that will just do the full writing process and give you an edited manuscript and then you take it off your, on your own. Sure. But there are ghostwriting agencies that allow you to do the full process under them and then publish your book. Those ones are really great to work with. They are extremely high dollar. So you need to make sure that you're understanding if I do a ghostwriter that doesn't do that, it's going to be a little bit less and I'm going to have a little bit more on my plate, but I have more control versus I'm going to pay a lot more and I'm going to write that book with the ghostwriter. And then I won't necessarily have control over the publishing process because they have it. And sometimes you just want to stay in your lane, right. help them get the finished document, even though they're working with a literary agent or whatever. Now, do you handle business articles, LinkedIn posts, that type of thing, or do you focus primarily on books? I do both. So I do books and then I also do blog posts and newsletters and LinkedIn posts for a lot of people. I work on a retainer for that copywriting work. Sure. That's good. And that's good steady work. And then you produce on a proper schedule. And as far as languages, because typically we say we write them for English, but is there value in translating them and putting them to different languages for different platforms? Or again, depending on our audience? Yeah, the value exists where your audience is. So if you have a bigger audience in different countries, that's definitely a value to you. If not, wait. Sure. Now, when it comes to ghostwriting, I get the retainer option. And those are things which most businesses can fit into their budgets. How is rate for a ghostwriter typically calculated? Like I've seen things where it could be by the word, by the hour, or even by the page. What's typical in the industry and what works well, what doesn't? Often start with a rate per word. That's okay. 
However, they forget that they have to spend a lot of administrative time, interview time, organizing the outline, time revising the outline and the work that you can't necessarily bill in a words per written type of model. So what is more accepted and often done is that they have that word per rate built in for what they're actually going to write and then their hourly rate built in for a certain amount of hours. They typically understand exactly how long it will take to write a book at a certain amount of length and a certain amount of research level. And those hours are built into your pricing package. So it can be different depending on the length that you want your book to be. Sure. And if you're doing regular work, I'm assuming that you probably set that up in the retainer so that things are done in a proper fashion. What kind of things should we be hearing from the ghostwriters? So let's say we've identified a number of ghostwriters. We've reached out to some. Is there a place to go find them? Obviously, we're going to promote your work and we'll put all your information in the show notes. And you've been so gracious to share some of these strategies with us. But if say it wasn't you and you were just consulting to us, what are some of the best ways to go find a ghostwriter? And then what kind of questions should we be expecting from them? So there is one place you can go. That's the Association of Ghostwriters, where you can submit an inquiry and you get bids on it. The better place to go is LinkedIn. So many fantastic, very in-depth ghostwriters have established their business on LinkedIn. They might not necessarily ever rank in Google if you search them, but their practices and their referrals on LinkedIn, those in that recommendation section, will tell you a lot about what they offer you. And then so, ask for some samples or right. ask to see samples of their work. And really, how much is chemistry a component of this? A huge part of this finding a ghostwriter should be your chemistry. Some people are really interested in me because I use the word rebellious so much. Some people are turned away. And honestly, we probably wouldn't be a good fit. That's interesting. That's what attracted me to the word. And that's the whole point, isn't it? You're finding your ideal market, your ideal audience, right. and then understanding that a good ghostwriter is going to take a look at that avatar, who you're writing to. And then there's always the tone in which we use. Do we want a professional tone? Do we want a casual tone? Is there a tone that seems to work better generally for acceptance and or people understanding and getting that information. And there's there some tones that we should just always stay away from. Honestly, I would say that the humorous tone is surprisingly effective. You can get a contentious point across a lot easier if you make someone laugh along the way. There's some ghostwriters that even specialize in humor. I would say in terms of staying away from things, unless it's your brand and you're known for it, I would shy away from only having strictly information on the page and nothing else. So use some anecdotes, tell some funny stories, inject a little humor, <laughs> tasteful humor in it that's not personalizing it or marginalizing any particular group, but you, and self-deprecation is probably okay. Like Yeah, it's. and putting just information on the page doesn't speak to the problems that your audience is facing. Look at what I know. And people are like, okay. That's great for you. Sure, you know? you're right. My wife and I have been watching American Idol this season, and we enjoy that show. We've got some yeah. kids who are children who are in the performance arts and the performance business, and so we enjoy watching it. It's really fun to watch the auditions, um, and you see the auditions and you laugh, and you're, some of them are just absolutely amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And But there's some that have no self-awareness whatsoever. Does your <laughs> mom not tell you that you suck? This is awful. Is it the same with writing as well? I remember when I first started off in writing years and years ago, in high school and college. I was adequate. I could get the job done, but I used good editors and I used people to come in and proof, right? But now there's tools and my writing's improved over the 20, 30 years of writing regularly. It improves. Do people have self-awareness issues? Sometimes they write content and they think it's really good. Do you see that? Then you're taking a look at it and you're going, no, that's not good. Because your job's to ensure that it's well-written, that it's engaging, it's free from errors, and that it's doing what it's supposed to do, right? 
Yeah, I would say that most of the time people are very aware that they're not a great writer. I've rarely ever ran into it where someone corrects something that I've simplified or made easier and turned it back to what it originally was. A lot of the time when people are seeking help, they understand it. I would say if you're writing on your own and you're not seeking help, you need to keep in mind how to write. So you need to be studying those writing books. You need to understand and listen to podcasts that help you along the way. Because even myself as a professional writer that and has been published and has been writing for years, I will go back to some works that are published and I'll be like, man, I know things now that I didn't know then. No, I was looking at an earlier draft of a book. I'm working on another one and I'm just going, Ugh. you know how actors will do movies and then they, they never want to watch the movie that they were in. They just mm-hmm. don't watch it. I'm the same way when it comes to books. I write them and then I'm done. I've already moved on. I'm already writing the next song, right? Now you got into this line of work because you have a love for the written word and you've had that since you can remember. Now that it's become a job, an occupation, a profession, do you still find time to write for your own personal enjoyment? And how do you prioritize that time for yourself? Oh, I do. I do. So I'm a big believer that you need to fill your cup before you fill anybody else's. So the first hour of my working day is only my personal works. I love it. So I'm currently working on a fantasy that is fully written. And I actually have a writing coach that's helping me really dive into the nuances of it. And then I've also begun outlining my next book, which is a horror that I'm very excited for. So you'll see those come out because publishing timelines take forever, hopefully within the next few years. So your book's going to be about ghosts from a ghost writer. That makes sense (laughs) now that you're an expert on it. So that's always good. I know you personally like writing fantasy and science fiction when you're not working. So that's your hobby and you're right about. And I can see where as a ghost, if you love to write, you've got all the right tools for it. Mm -hmm. As far as a process goes, how long does it typically take. So let's say that I'm a business owner, I'm a consultant. Maybe I want to write a book in a traditional style standard book. So let's just call it 160 pages, five and a half by eight and a half. I've got this beautiful hardcover book I want to put out or submit for publishing for acceptance. How long does the process typically take if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing? Because I realize a lot of it, you're waiting on the individual to give you the information that's required. But assuming I'm following your program and I'm I'm going to the gym on a regular basis and working out with coach with you, how long does that process take typically? With me, it's a six month timeline. And that's what's extra time built in for revisions and a full round of editing from our award-winning editor. A lot of the times people will worry if that's too short. In truth, I personally can get a book written in three to four months. So that's extra time built in for the author to look it over, to tell me things are or aren't working, for the editor to come back to me with a slew of grammatical changes that I can correct and make beautiful within the book. So that gives me an extra two months, really, to have polishing time for your book. Sure. Now, is there a standard investment that we should be paying attention to? I realize it can be all over the place, depending on the amount of work that goes into it, the amount of research, but let's just assume just to give a range, what can ranges be from a low end? Say I was going to do 150 pages, 180 pages. I'm doing my homework. What can be a range in there allowing room for revisions, additional revisions, maybe more information? Because I'm assuming you have to always anticipate that and build that into it. And you can probably tell very quickly after the first chapter gets done that, hey, this is going to be more work or less work. But at the same time, you should be paid for your efficiency. So if you're able to crank it out quicker and do it, that's on you. That's good for you as it goes around. And it helps me out because I'm getting a finished product sooner. Is there a range for that? Speaking, I get because we have ranges. How about for ghostwriters? Yeah, what you'll see is the norm in the industry because I'm a part of a ghostwriter mastermind and a lot of us have prices within these range. So for a six-month project, 
for a regular size nonfiction book, you should be looking between 15,000 and 30,000. If you're finding lower than that, there might not have the experience you need. If you're finding higher than that, you're likely entering into the realm of people that have ghostwritten for 20 years and have multiple bestsellers under their book or the realm of people that are publishing for you. That makes sense. And good range too. And that can break that up on a monthly basis. I'm assuming mm-hmm. they don't pay yeah. all up front. For me at least, that's what I do. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. And then it's an investment. But all I can say is as an author myself and having delivered books that these things pay off in multiples. You'll get more than a 10X, you'll get a 100X investment. This is a gift that keeps on giving for your life. And I have at least five books in me. Like I said, I'm working on number three, but what a difference it's made to my career. And every one of them, even though they can be a stretch sometimes, goes even further to get. So the more you have, if you just have one book, it's great. But as you do one, it's like a tattoo. You're probably going to end up with two or three of them, right? And some you don't ever want to look at either and you want to take it off. But the key is to keep going with it. But if you're interested in growing your practice in your business, I'm a firm believer in ghostwriting and cranking out that content. Let's talk quickly about as far as business entrepreneurs and frequency, maybe articles or publishing for something like LinkedIn. Do you have a recommended frequency and length of article that you recommend? Sure. Yeah. Like you were saying, the authority and credibility that comes from book and publishing copy content is always going to pay you back astronomically. But when it comes to newsletter, LinkedIn content, blogs, I personally publish once a week. I've seen others do it two or three times a week which I feel like tires out your audience because it takes a lot in today's world, especially for someone to read through an entire blog. So it needs to be highly engaging, highly informative, and it needs to speak to them emotionally. Doing that three times a week, you have to be extremely dedicated to someone before you actually do that. So once a week, twice a month, those are good timelines. And typically for LinkedIn specifically, I wouldn't say more than 500 words. If you've got a personal blog on your website, then you can get get away with like, Closer right. to a thousand words. Sure. Yeah, no, there's definitely a limit there. People got to get that information quickly and go. And then right. repurpose the article or the writing so you can repurpose some little sound bites, put a little picture and a couple of lines for Instagram, maybe with a link to whatever the full article is back on the blog again. When it comes to repurposing your content, if you are not repurposing your book or your newsletter or your blog content repeatedly, you are not getting the best value out of it. You need to be continually bringing it up. I would say there's a marketing rule somewhere. I wish I knew where it was from, but they say if you can reuse content every six months. Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. recycle it because exactly. they forget. If you can come up with three to six months worth and just keep recycling them, change the odd thing, you've got new information going out there. So it does make yeah. sense. In my world, it was always publish or perish. And I think that's still an adage that rings true today is publish or perish if you want to stay relevant then it makes a difference. Yeah. Too often people write a book and then think the information's out there. I can't use it again. Here's my book. Just there you go. You've got to reuse that. Every single really good line can be a LinkedIn post. Every single multiple paragraphs could be a really great blog that you add some more context behind. It's such a good well of copy that you can pull from for your full career. Sure. Now in the marketplace, we have five generations of buyers, millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, baby boomers, and each consume information differently. Each process information differently. Baby boomers will sit down and we'll actually buy a book and read the book. Other people maybe want to read it digitally. I read mine digitally mostly now. I don't want a bunch of books. I love digital and I spend every day reading. I read with my ears and it might be an audible version or I'll get my phone to read to me while I'm walking or whatever it is. As a ghostwriter, you take that into effect. In other words, can an effective ghostwriter, do you find that you have to sometimes write to the different demographics based on what it is? So if you were writing to, say I wanted to sell to a millennial or a Gen X, you're going to have a good perspective 
perspective on that because I think that's where you're hanging out. But if you're writing to a baby boomer, would you adjust your writing style? Would you adjust some of the words to match the style or the interests of the boomer? Absolutely. Yeah. The demographics of your audience are going to inform how we speak to them. Got it. Especially when it comes to how you state controversial points and how you offer them storytelling methods. So for me, I like a paragraph of story and then give me the information. A lot of the different generations that are older than us really like the information given in between multiple paragraphs of story. So give me an example of what you just said, the way that you like to do it. So you do a paragraph. So let's say pick something that maybe you just were working on where you're writing a paragraph on what it is, and then you get point, whatever the points are that are coming out of there. It's more, I give a paragraph that gives the emotional context and gives the reader a hook that brings them in and makes them study the words closely. And then say, as a result, X, Y, Z, that's when you talk about the benefits, the science, how to do it, things like that. Potential outcomes and how that can work. Awesome. You're the owner of Alliance Ghostwriting. So give us a commercial there. What are some of the general services that you provide and offer? Yeah. So I provide both book and blog services with a focus on content that helps you widen your audience. I want you to walk away with copy that makes your audience emotionally connected to you and it gets them to trust you more. Excellent. Thanks for sharing some of your insights on this and the value of using a ghostwriter. I've been using them for years. And I'm excited to talk to you about that as well, because it it really does help leverage your activity so you can focus on your core competencies to do the things that you want to do. And you're not having to spend time because it can be a long time. It can be tedious. I recommend strongly that people use a ghostwriter whenever possible. I know you do offer free consultations. They can go to the website and it's at allianceghostwriting.com, www. And you do offer free consultations, have those conversations with people to see if it's a fit. And from there, you'll go through strategy, you'll go through interview, you'll go through their outline, you'll go the draft, revise, edit, and bingo, you are published. So you got a great process. And thanks for being here with us and sharing some of this stuff. Really appreciate it, Danielle. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for having me. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.